All right. Hey, thank you, Pastor Christopher. And I want to resonate with everything Christopher just shared about your generosity, River West. It's been inspiring to all of us. So way to go. And now I'm excited to get into the word together. Would you pull out your Bible with me this morning? Pull out that Bible that you got and open up, if you would, to the book of Revelation. That's right. You heard me. We're going to the book of Revelation this morning. We continue today in our series that we've titled, I Will Build My Church. And what we're going to do today is we're actually going to drop down into what I'm going to call almost like a sub-series in this bigger series, I Will Build My Church. And in this sub-series, we're going to take several weeks together and we're going to spend time looking at Christ's vision for ethnic diversity in his church ethnic diversity in his church and unity in that diversity, it would be impossible. It would be irresponsible to to do a series called I Will Build My Church where we're getting inside of the head and the heart of the architect to see the church from his perspective, his vision. It would be neglectful to do that kind of a series and not talk about ethnic diversity. It would be as if we we took our Bibles and set them aside and said, we do not care what the Bible says. We do not care about Christ's vision for the church because the reality is in the mind of the architect, Christ had in mind something beautiful, a vision for a multicultural, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who would gather together and unite around their common faith and their common love for Christ. Amazing. And so we're going to take several Sundays. Now we know, River West, we know that in our culture, people are talking about race perhaps more than any other topic right now. Maybe only sex and gender are being talked about more than the issue of race. And that conversation is happening constantly. And we know that that conversation is wrought with pain and conflict, sometimes anger. People have squared off against one another. People are talking past each other. It's mixed with rhetoric. It's mixed with anger. It's painful. We know this. And and we also know that as followers of Jesus, we have some categories and some truths that we can and should be bringing into this conversation because Jesus Christ is the one person in the universe who can bring a cure to division of all kinds. And so as a church, we, we, we want to talk about this. And the reality is our country's hurting over the issue of ethnicity and division and racism. And so now is the time to talk about this. But what I'm going to argue this morning is that the primary reason and my primary reason, my objective in taking several Sundays, you say, why would we take several Sundays, Pastor? The reason for that is because you cannot preach responsibly out of the scripture and not talk about ethnic diversity. Ethnic diversity is a theme that stretches from Genesis to the book of Revelation. So I have no political agenda. I have no moral agenda. I ha- I, my only agenda is to be a responsible pastor, to take the Bible, to open it, and say, let's look at God's vision for ethnic diversity. 
And I can summarize that vision in one statement, which I want you to write down because it's also the headline for my sermon. And the statement is this, the Lord Jesus Christ is so glorious that in his kingdom, one people group is not enough to reflect his greatness. He wants them all. This is the consistent message of the Bible. The scriptures consistently present us with a vision of a multicultural, multi-ethnic people of God. And so that's got to be our starting place in this conversation. And we're going to talk about lots of different issues surrounding it, but we have to start there. We have to start with a vision and not just any vision. In fact, I, I, I thought about titling my sermon, Christ's Beautiful Vision of Ethnic Diversity and Unity in His Church. Because what I want to start with today is a vision of beauty. And so we're going to go to the end. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to look up and we're going to see this incredible vision of where we're headed, our destination. So we're going to start at the end and then we're going to go back and I'm going to trace the theme from Genesis all the way through the Bible and show you how the theme begins at the beginning and then and how it can be traced to the entire redemptive story line. Because I want to demonstrate, I want to convince you today, if you didn't come in convinced, I want you to leave convinced that from Genesis to Revelation, a multi-ethnic, multicultural community of worshipers is Christ's purpose from the very beginning. But we begin with the ultimate beautiful vision. As Christians, the end is so certain because God is sovereign that we know we, we live with the end as our current reality and our current hope. And the book of Revelation shows us the vision. So now will you turn with me? Revelation chapter 7. The book of Revelation is a vision of the climax of redemptive history. It's where we're headed. And listen to what John writes in chapter 7. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All God's people have gathered in this passage. They've gathered for a worship service. They've gathered to proclaim Christ's greatness. They're crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And the angels and the elders and all the living creatures, all of heaven's hosts are there agreeing and amending and falling on their knees. And the people of God are dressed in robes that have been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. We learn just in verse 14, a demonstration of their righteousness. 
And here they are, they're worshiping, they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God. And isn't it interesting that the first thing that John notices in heaven's ethnic diversity. Did you see that? It's a wor- there were so many things to notice. The worship, the angels, the, the elders, the robes, all of it. And what is the very first thing that John draws our attention to? Heaven's ethnic diversity. He goes out of his way to describe it. Do you notice it there? He, he uses every possible term for diversity that he can muster up. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, dialects. The heavenly vision is a multi-ethnic reality where we're all together worshiping and reigning on earth in perfect unity. Every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every nation, every people group, united. The children of God worshiping Christ in perfect unity. That list has shown up before. You noticed it. It's the very same list that Christ had ransomed back in chapter 5. Did you see that? I'll just read this verse to you. You probably remember this. The precious blood of Jesus has ransomed people. So John says in 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see that same list. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. So, so you got to pay attention here because this is, this is what John's doing. He's saying Christ's work on the cross, his blood, the shedding of his blood, Look what it has accomplished. This is what it has accomplished. It has ransomed every ethnic group, every people group, every tribe, every language. John's saying, positionally, ethnic unity is a reality for all eternity. Spiritually, eternally, positionally, we are united in Christ for all eternity, worshiping Jesus. And Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 provide the snapshot of this multilingual, multi-generational, multi-ethnic citizens who are dwelling for all eternity in the city of God. And there's a beauty to that. But we also know that we're living with a mess. So there's a beauty and, and there's a mess. And we, we live with this tension right now. We've got a problem. I'm going to come back in just a few minutes and talk a little bit about our problem. But first, I want to show you one other thing about Revelation 7. Isn't it fascinating? Revelation 7 and Revelation 5 are telling us something about our resurrection bodies. I, I, I imagine many of us have never thought about this. Our resurrection bodies, what we will inherit, our glorious inheritance, when finally Christ returns and this old shell is cast off and I receive my new, eternal, glorious resurrection body. Isn't it interesting that my resurrection body will keep its ethnicity? into all eternity. Have you ever thought about that? This is incredible. 
I get all kinds of questions about the afterlife, about heaven. I've never had a question about this, never once. I get questions about, will my dog go to heaven? Will my cat go to heaven? And I get a little, I get a little dark when I hear that question because what I'm really thinking is, the question you should be asking is, will you go to heaven? All right, your dog is, or your cat is a secondary issue. But I've never had anyone ask about our ethnicity. And yet it couldn't be more clear. Final redemption will not wipe away all of our ethnic differences. We'll retain our ethnicity, our culture, the things that that create beauty and diversity in our world will be retained and we'll carry that into eternity where we'll reign and worship and all of that multifaceted, multi, the beauty of all of the diversity will stay and it will actually contribute to the glorification of Christ as he's worshiped for all eternity. Incredible. A book that I'm, I've been deeply uh, indebted to is a book by an author named Erwin Ince. It's called The Beautiful Community. And the subtitle is Unity, Diversity, and the Church. And I've got that, that title will be available in the show notes and it's, it's available as a, as a reference in the liturgy guide. I, I wish everyone in our church would read this book. It's probably the most breathtaking book I've read on the topic of ethnicity and sin and the church and our world. It's amazing. And what, what Irwin does, he's a pastor, is he begins with the concept of beauty See, so much of the time when we start this conversation, we start in other places. But Erwin says, no, no, no. If we're, if we're going to make progress in the church and in the world, we have to start with beauty because beauty is the essence of God. Our, our, our creator, God, who for all eternity exists in diversity um, among the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity and beauty. And Erwin traces that concept of beauty and shows how it just makes sense that that beauty and diversity would be a part of God's redemptive story. Culminating in the book of Revelation and the eternal kingdom. And what he does, and it's so brilliant, is he he says this, this reality of us carrying our ethnicity into all eternity, it protects us from two extremes. One extreme which we hear sometimes in our world, is to say that our ethnicity ultimately doesn't matter. We should be colorblind. I don't see color. And and that was sort of the old liberalism way of thinking about this. The problem with that is that God does see color. God does see diversity. God does see ethnicity. And it's beautiful to him. So to say, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, is, is to disagree with God. Our ethnicity will stay with us. But the other extreme is to make our ethnicity the only thing, the most important thing, the fundamental thing about our identity. And Erwin Ince argues, no, 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 it's, it's, yes, it's, it's significant and we carry it with us into eternity. But what happens is in eternity is that our identity in Christ becomes the most important thing that unites us all together as a perfectly united, worshiping community. Christ is too glorious to be represented in worship by only one culture, 
by only one language, by only one ethnicity, by only one expression or people group. He wants them all. He shed his blood for them all. And eternal worship in the kingdom requires them all. And as the people of Jesus, we live with that reality. That's our future. I love it. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to say, he used to say, we don't live for the end as Christians. We live from the end. And that's different. As Christians, we know God is so sovereign, nothing will stop him from accomplishing his eternal kingdom purpose. So we don't, we're not living for that. We're living from it. It's as good as done. So the church is the preview of this coming kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The church is here to live this out, to represent this reality and to preach it as a part of our good news message. And so let's just step back for a minute and let's just take a breath. Because if you're like me, you're hearing this and you're going, this is beautiful, pastor. I love this, but wait a minute. We're living in a mess. We're living with this massive space between God's vision and purpose and the mess of our world. Look how sin has destroyed what God intended to be beautiful. And it's true, Martin Luther King Jr., he would finish a lot of his sermons and a lot of his speeches by calling his hearers to what he called divine dissatisfaction. He would talk about themes like this. He would open his Bible and he would say, look at God's heart, look at God's purpose. And then he would call his hearers and say, now walk out of here with divine dissatisfaction. And I'm calling River West Church to divine dissatisfaction. And I'm calling myself to divine dissatisfaction. How can there be such a divide? How can there be such a space between heaven's vision and the world's reality? And not just out there, but in our churches in America. I pulled up some statistics, just some data from the Pew, the Pew Foundation and from Lifeway Research. Um, you've heard a lot of this, but I think it's important just to, to deal with reality. So... From a recent study by the Pew Research Center, 2012, listen to this, about eight in 10 congregants in America, so it's actually a little bit more than that, somewhere between 80 and 85% of people who attend a Protestant worship service, they say that there is a single racial or ethnic group that makes up at least 80% of their congregation. So let me, let me say that so you understand what I'm saying. At least 80% of people who go to church go to a church where their congregation is made up of, a, of predominantly one ethnic group, over 80%. And that is the norm. And that's true of every ethnic group. It's not just true of white Protestants. It's true of every ethnic group. Or here's this, senior pastors of Protestant churches, 85% of them say that every church should strive for racial diversity because they love their Bibles, what we're talking about. But only 13% of Protestant pastors say they have more than one predominant ethnic group in their congregation. 13%. 
85% believe it's something that should be happening. Less than 15% say it's happening. 78% of Americans say every church should strive for racial diversity. This one, I could not believe it. 78% say we should strive for this. Only 51% of Americans say they would be most comfortable visiting a church where multiple ethnicities were well represented. Did you hear that? Only 51%, said we should strive for it, but only 51% say they would be comfortable visiting a church where multiple ethnicities are represented. So we have this divide, we have this hurt, we have this break. Sin has done something. Sin has damaged. What are we supposed to do? How can we, our country is in need of massive healing. Our nation is, 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 is hurting over this. And the church is right in the middle of it. How are we to understand what's happening? What are we supposed to do? Well, here's what I want to do. We're going to take several weeks on this. But first, I want to lay a foundation. We have to start and end with the Bible. I'm not interested in a conversation about this that isn't saturated in God's word. We're not going to make progress and we're not going to glorify God if we don't do every single step of this with our Bibles open. And so what I need to do today is I need to trace this theme throughout the scripture. And I'm going to give you four headings. They're going to show up right here. And and we need to walk through each of these headings. And I'm going to have to go fast, okay? So buckle up. I could probably preach a sermon on each one of these headings, but I'm going to do all of this in the next 15 minutes. Here are the headings. The Imago Dei, the confusion of language at at Babel, Pentecost. (laughs) And you're thinking, how do we get from Babel to Pentecost? Well, you'll be blown away by what the connection is. Imago Dei, confusion of languages at Babel, Pentecost, and then the New Testament churches and the norm that we're going to see in the New Testament churches. And by the way, there's an article that Tim Keller wrote that's also there in your show notes that I want everyone to read that will, if you want to learn more about what I'm about to do, Keller unpacks this in a lot of detail. Okay, so buckle up. Here we go. Imago Dei. In its opening message, the Bible declares that human beings are made in the image of God after his likeness. Genesis 1, you know this, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is the most basic affirmation we could make about a human being. Every human person, regardless of ethnicity, has the inherent God-given dignity of bearing God's image. Set apart from all the other animals, human beings are unique. This is why followers of Jesus think so much about the sanctity of life. Because we believe this, that from the very beginning of conception, when God forms a new human life in the mother's womb, Psalm 139, verse 13, through the time that that child is born, lives, and dies, that person bears God's image. And so as followers of Jesus, we're not just pro-life before birth, we're pro-life after birth, throughout the entire life. 
We believe that life is, 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 is special. There's a sanctity of every human life before birth, yes, and after birth. And when people neglect the doctrine of the Imago Dei, the result is a violation of that sanctity of life that can come in all forms before birth, yes, and after birth, such as hate crimes, chattel slavery, discrimination, Jim Crow laws, the neglect of the poor. I mean, you could make a list of all the things that are a violation of the sanctity of life. And the Bible gives us a category that's big enough for the church to be against anything that's a violation of the sanctity of life before birth and after birth all the way till a person returns to the dust. But also, the Imago Dei is an important reminder that our word race is actually not a biblical concept. Race is not a biblical concept. And you've actually probably noticed that I've gone out of my way to avoid using that word. I've been using a different word, a biblical word, the word ethnos or ethnicity. I've been going out of my way to say that because there are not multiple races of humans. There is one human race with multiple cultural expressions and ethnicities and people groups and languages and tribes, yes, but every one of those represents the same race, the human race. Acts 17, 26, God made from one man, that's Adam, every nation, that's the word ethnos, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So Adam and Eve had this one family tree of image bearers, every one of them image bearers, and there's no subspecies of human beings. We are all the same race. We are all image bearers. And the reason I'm going out of my way, you know why I'm going out of my way to make this delineation, because as many of you know, the idea of race, race is a human-made social construct that was created to justify colonization of other people groups in colonial Europe, and then tragically in the history of our own nation, it was used to justify slavery and the eradication of native people groups in the Americas. Race was a category that we created, and the scientific community got involved. There were all these different all these different events that intersected to create a new category, whereas before humans didn't talk so much about skin color, there, we, we, there was no talk about I'm white and this person's black or brown or some other, it, people talked about eth ethnicity. We talked about Italians and Germans and, and the Spanish and Nigerian, and, but then in an attempt to justify wiping out brown and black people or placing them in slavery, race, the concept of race was constructed as a way to create a superior group and an inferior group. And that's part of our history. And, and if you haven't studied that history, that'd be a good thing to study. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it 
as we, as we progress in our series. But here's the thing I want you to know. That has no basis in scripture. It has no basis in biology. There isn't a biological, genetic, or racial difference between different ethnic groups. But ethnos is a biblical category, and it's a beautiful, it's, it's part of God's heart and design and purpose. Ethnos, ethnicity, refers to a group of people who identify with each other based on similarities such as common ancestry, language, history, culture, nation, cuisine. Ethnicity is what you discover when you do Ancestry.com or 23andMe. These were all the rage. And then there were, remember, there were television shows where famous people would take their, their DNA test and then they would find out who they were related to. And there's all kinds of amazing, great stories about that. But that, that's ethnicity. And ethnicity is biblical and it is part of God's original purpose. And it's, and it's glorious. And every ethnicity is fully created in the image of God to reflect his beauty and his glory. In the early chapters of the book of Genesis, God repeatedly commanded humanity to spread out, to be fruitful and multiply because God knew in spreading out and multiplying and being fruitful and stewarding creation, the people of God would 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 spread and, and new cultures would form and new languages would develop and new cultural expressions and ethnicities would develop and it would be beautiful. So what happened? How did people respond? Well, that brings us to our second heading, okay? The Tower of Babel, where we have a problem. God had said, go, spread, be fruitful, multiply, create new cultures and languages and, and expressions. And what do we find when we turn the Bible to Genesis 11, verse 1? Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And if the reader's thinking, this is great, humanity's united, they're united around one language, well, what, what Moses is about to show us is that this is bad. This is not a solidarity that's expressing love or worship towards God, this is a solidarity around a building project to rebel against God and usurp his authority. They had one language, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, which is what God had commanded them to do, be dispersed, go, spread, multiply. And the people say, we don't want to do that. We want to build a name for ourselves. We rebel, sin getting in. People, un people can be united in rebellion against God. And here we see it right at the beginning. So what does God do? In his mercy, he comes down and he forces them to disperse. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And we read this and we think it's a punishment and it is. In one sense, it's God intervening, but there's a grace because God is saying, I actually, in grace, I need to prevent human beings from accomplishing the full extent of the wickedness they could accomplish if they were fully united in solidarity and sin against me. And so in grace, God intervenes. And what does he do? He confuses the language. He forces them to fulfill his original purpose, which was to go and be fruitful and multiply and spread. And so in grace... God confuses their language and then they begin to accomplish his original design. But now, whereas the very same sin that had caused them to unite together in rebellion, that sin sin stayed with people groups as they spread and now that sin manifested itself in tribalism and racism towards one another So the same sin that caused them to unite together in rebellion against God turned into a rebellion where they united in their tribes to look down and show partiality towards other ethnic and cultural groups. Racism has been with us since the very beginning. The very beginning. And so what does God do? Here we have now finally different ethnic groups forming cultures, languages, yet sin has created disunity in God's world. And what does God do? Immediately God sets into motion his redemptive purposes to reconcile people back to himself, but also to reconcile people groups back to one another. A holistic gospel where God fixes our alienation to him and God fixes our alienation with one another. And this brings us to Pentecost. So what's fascinating, and before I even talk about Pentecost, when you turn to Genesis 12, immediately what does God do right after Babel? He chooses Abraham and he says, go, I'm going to bless you. And why? Because you're going to be a blessing to the nations, to the ethnos. He begins immediately thinking of how he can regather all of the ethnos of the world into one people through Abraham, his chosen. And that redemptive plan culminates in the person and work of Jesus and the gospel. And then we come to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And you say, Pastor, what's the relationship between Babel and Pentecost? Well, I'm going to tell you, if Babel was the tragic confusion and scattering of language in response to human rebellion, Pentecost represents God's great gathering, regathering of every language and every ethnos and tribe and people. At Babel, 
God confused and scattered in mercy and through the gospel and the pouring out of the spirit and the death and resurrection of Jesus and at Pentecost, God begins his plan to regather every nation, tribe, people group, and language. You know the story. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. There they are. They're in Jerusalem. They've gathered. The Spirit falls in power. And flames that look like tongues gather over each of them, and they begin speaking in other tongues. And Luke 12 tells us, Luke, Luke 2, verse 5, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. As this is happening, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's ethnos. Every ethnos under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The confusion and the scattering of language at Babel is being reversed at Pentecost and everyone is hearing the gospel Together, every language, every ethnos. And they were amazed and astonished and said, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed. All were amazed. And God, in his grace, he comes and he begins his plan. The gospel, the power of the gospel, not just to reconcile people who have been alienated from God. Yes, that. Without that, no other reconciliation matters. But also God reconciling people of different ethnicities, a racial reconciliation that happens through the power of the gospel. And River West, this moment sets the trajectory for the New Testament church. And so we come finally to the last category, the new norm Has it ever dawned on you? Have you ever noticed when you read the New Testament that every single church in the New Testament was multi-ethnic and multilingual? All of the churches, all of the local churches cut across ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic and even linguistic lines. Their otherness in their ethnicity was less important to them than their new unity in Christ. They cared more about that than they cared about any of their differences. And it was totally unthinkable for the early Christians to separate into churches along homogenous lines. It didn't even dawn on them. They were so convinced that they were a new humanity in Christ. This isn't to say that it was easy. In fact, it was really hard. But wait a minute. Isn't that exactly the point? It was hard. It was messy. You can't read the New Testament and not see the New Testament writers addressing the issue of conflict as a result of ethnic differences. Almost every letter written to a church talks about it. But they didn't give up. So Paul, listen to Paul, Romans 
15, we, we forget, we read this out of context. When Paul says Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He was talking to Gentiles and Jews, different ethnos who were constantly having friction in their church community. They were trying to figure out, how do we do this? This is hard. We're different. It's hard to fellowship together. But at no point did Paul say, you're right, it's hard. It would be easier if you just started getting organized into faith communities along homogenous ethnic lines. No, Paul would never dream of that. And the thing is, I could show you examples, example after example after example. First Corinthians, Galatians, James, Peter, every apostle saying, we believe in the power of the gospel. The gospel is powerful enough. Our differences culturally, ethnically, are beautiful and diverse and wonderful. But they're not the most important thing. The most important thing now in the middle is our new identity in Christ that actually has the power to continue to bring us together. Paul believed that the gospel had the power to get worked into the very heart of those tensions in a way that could transform hearts and create beautiful unity, even in the midst of ethnic diversity. Even when it's hard, even when there's tension, even when there's pain, even when there's conflict, even when we talk past each other, Paul believed the gospel's more powerful than that. And do you know what, River West? I believe it too. I believe in the power of the gospel. And I know you do too which is why we need to talk about this. My agenda, do you want to know what my agenda is? My agenda is to take the gospel and work it in to this critical issue because it's the heart of God, his vision for beauty in diversity. And so we're going to take a couple weeks and it's always going to be Bible open. We're going to begin with the Bible. We're going to end with the Bible. And everything in between will be the Bible. Now, next Sunday, I'm really excited about it. It's going to have a little bit of a different feel because I had the privilege of sitting down with a man who has become a precious friend. He is a pastor, a local pastor in our community, and he pastors a very diverse church and we sat down and we just had a conversation about a lot of the things I'm talking about, but a bunch of other topics around ethnic diversity and the challenges and the hurts and how has sin impacted that and the power of the gospel. And the amazing thing, there we are, we're having this conversation and someone was there with a camera <laughs> and they recorded the whole thing. And so I want to invite you back next Sunday to listen into that conversation. But River West, I'm truly excited about what we're going to talk about. And I believe that we can see healing and hope and change in our nation and in our churches and in our very own hearts as we surrender to Jesus. Will you pray with me about that? And then we'll take communion together. Our Father, we, we rejoice 
That's where we begin with rejoicing because of your beautiful vision, an eternal vision, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, cross-cultural, multilingual kingdom of priests who've been washed in the blood of Jesus, who gather together to give full expression, Jesus, to your excellence and your majesty. We rejoice, but also we lament. Our hearts break. And as Christians, we can, we can transition seamlessly from rejoicing to lamenting when we think about the reality of the brokenness of our world how sinful racism and division has ruined your plan. We, we lament, we even repent, Lord, as a people for ways that we have neglected this conversation, for ways we have stood on the sidelines and not spoken truth into issues of ethnic tension and division where there needs to be reconciliation. We repent, Lord, for ways that we have not cared about the hurt that is experienced in our country by people from minority groups. We repent of that because we love you, Jesus, and we love the gospel and we love your son, Christ our Lord, and we love his church and we love his vision. And so we bring all these prayers before you. And I pray, God, that as a church, as we work through this critical, beautiful series, that your glory would be revealed to us and our hearts would be transformed and our church would be changed and would begin moving towards this heavenly vision. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.